4, verses 23 through 31. Acts 4, 23 to 31. And I'll just give you the context briefly. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer and they saw a man placed by the gate called Beautiful who was lame from birth. And they said, sorry, we don't have any gold or silver, but in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And Peter helped him up and he walked and he started leaping and jumping, praising God. All the people gathered together. They actually ran to see what was taking place. Uh, Peter seized the opportunity to tell them that this was all taking place because of Jesus Christ. And if they would repent, um, they too could be forgiven and receive times of refreshing. Uh, the religious leaders were not excited about all this commotion and I guess what we could call an impromptu evangelistic meeting. Uh, they arrested Peter and John, probably the lame man. Uh, the next day, they were put on trial. Uh, they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus. Peter and John said, we cannot but help but speak in the name of Jesus. And then they were released after being threatened further. And then we pick up this account in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank You for this passage that shows the boldness of Your people. Father, forgive us for our timidity. And Father, I would ask that You would even shake us this morning. Help us to see that we need to be more bold in our proclamation of Jesus Christ. Help us to see that we shrink back too often. So Father, would You use this Word and would You send Your Spirit to empower us to resemble Your apostles. And we ask this confidently in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we've seen in our text, the apostles were put on trial for preaching in the name of Jesus. Uh, then they were charged by the Sanhedrin not to preach or teach any more in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, 
you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The council threatened the apostles again, but were unable to take any action at this time anyways, because all the people saw the miracle and they knew that the man who was healed was lame from birth and now he was over 40 years old. So because of the people and the revolts of the people that would have taken place, they couldn't take any more action. The miracle was obvious and undeniable. Now the question I have for you is how do you respond when you're tempted for whatever reason to be quiet, to hold back about speaking the name of Jesus? How do you respond? And I hope none of you are saying, oh, I never hold back. (laughs) Not me. Whenever there's an opportunity, I'm right there and I take advantage of every opportunity that God brings my way. You don't. I don't. Um, At times, uh, we're tempted to be timid and unfortunately, we give in to that timidity and we keep our mouths silent and then later we feel terrible for our guilty silence because we know we should have spoken more boldly, but we didn't. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was well known for his boldness, um, also had to fight with timidity. Um, I take a little comfort in that. And maybe you can take a little comfort in that as well. And I think I'm reading between the lines correctly in Ephesians 6, where Paul writes to the, uh, the Christians at Ephesus, and he says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Twice, Paul says, pray for me that I would be bold in proclaiming the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Why did he ask for that prayer? It's very simple, isn't it? Because he needed help in being bold. And even the great Apostle Paul knew that he could shrink back at times and he needed God's people to intercede on his behalf so that he would be bold. And God's people did pray for him and he was bold. So when Paul was struggling with boldness, he asked for prayer. When Peter and John are struggling with boldness, what do they do? They ask for prayer. And we see them going to the church, telling them everything that has happened, and basically what happens is they call for a prayer meeting so that they can continue to be bold in the face of such hostility. Persecution has struck the church, and their initial response is to gather together in prayer. Isn't that great? Let's pray. Beloved, I pity the Christian who doesn't have a church to gather together with when they go through a difficult time. I really do. How tragic it must be to face cancer, surgery, uh, rebellious children, marital problems, and not have brothers and sisters that you can call to and say, will you pray for me? I'm going through a difficult time and I need God to intervene on my behalf. What a tragedy. And what a tragedy not to have that, especially in times of persecution when the opposition against your faith is severe. 
Now, let's be honest. Most of us really don't experience what we would call, quote-unquote, persecution. I remember when I was a, a student at Moody, and every so often we would do uh, street evangelism, and we would just talk to people on the streets. And um, One evening, my, my roommate, my first year, came back, and he was talking to some people. And he said, I was talking to this guy, and he didn't want to hear it, and he hit my Bible, and he scratched my hand, and it's, it's bleeding. I said... You're, you're bleeding. You're persecuted for the gospel. <laughs> and he said, come on, just a little cut here. <laughs> you know what? That, that really is the truth. You know, we may laugh. Ah, I'm persecuted. But these guys were persecuted, friends. And, and it's just beginning. What we experience, really, it's hard even to call persecution. Um, which would make us more ashamed because we turn back and are timid. Uh, when there's just a little bit of opposition in speaking the name of Christ. I believe the commentator who said, if anything characterizes the church at the beginning of the 21st century, it's cowardliness. I believe he's right. Uh, we really are cowards. We really are not as bold as we should be. And I can't help but wonder if there isn't a direct correlation to at least some degree between boldness on the one hand and prayer on the other hand. Could it be that boldness in the church is falling because prayer in the church is falling? And could it be that if prayer in the church would rise, we would see a corresponding boldness in the church rising as well? I think as we look at the apostles in this passage, Peter is basically saying, in essence, if we're going to continue on being bold as we try to carry out the great commission that Jesus Christ has given us, then we better pray. Because we're experiencing hostility. The temperature is rising. They want to persecute us. And we need to pray if we're going to continue on because we need God's help. We can't do this on our own. So we need to petition the God of heaven to help us to continue to be bold as we carry on the great commission. And that's what we see taking place in this passage. We see the apostles praying. And I want us to consider three points this morning. I want us to look at the address of their prayer, and then the request in their prayer, and then the answer to their prayer. Let's begin with the address of their prayer. We're told in verse 24 that they lifted their voices together to God, which tells us this wasn't just personal prayer. It was corporate prayer. And they said, Sovereign Lord. Isn't that a little redundant? If God is sovereign, then He's Lord. And if He's Lord, then He is sovereign overall. Uh, but I think they're not only addressing God as sovereign Lord, I think in this address, they're also reminding themselves that God is the sovereign Lord. And that comes out in three points. First of all, it comes out in the reference to creation. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. I love that. God is the Creator of all things. And, and I hope you go through your day and you just look at God's creation and you remind yourself from time to time, and I mean this consciously, not just at a subconscious level, but just remind yourself, God created that. God created that hummingbird. 
July 4th, I saw a hummingbird for the first time. God created that. It's the only bird that can go forward and backward. It's the only bird that can pause in, in midair. Its wings flap 70 times a second. When it's diving, they flap 200 times a second. And when it's diving, it can go 60 miles per hour. That's amazing. God made that. That's incredible. And that's just a hummingbird. I, I could go on and on and on, but we should not. God made it. It's not an accident. Not an accident. We have trees and pine trees, oak trees and maple trees and bushes and, and how many kinds of flowers? How many animals on land? How many animals in the sea? How many animals in the air? How many animals on top of animals? God made all these things. God is control. He is sovereign. And it's good to remind ourselves of that. And that's what the believers are doing here. God is the sovereign Lord. He created everything that we see. His sovereignty is also seen in Revelation. They continue on. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. And just pausing right there, we have dual authorship. David wrote Scripture, but so did the Holy Spirit. So that's why we talk about dual authorship, and that's why the Bible is inspired and without error. And then they quote Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. This is a couple of verses out of Psalm 2, but we really need to remember that the whole psalm is brought in. They wouldn't take a couple of verses out of context. They would bring in the whole psalm. And we won't go over the whole psalm. Um, it is provided for you in the devotional for this week if you'd like to go through it. But Psalm 2 is all about Jesus Christ. Um, it's not really about David because if you read it, you'll see that the promises made to this king exceed the promises made to David. So they're fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The nations rage against Christ, but He is raised from the dead. He is seated upon the throne, the throne at the right hand of the Father, and all the nations are given to His care. And all these things from the psalm would come into mind as they think about the psalm. But specifically, they are focused on the rebellion that occurred in the life of Christ. And in verse 27, they give the interpretation of the psalm. For truly, in this city, that's Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. God wasn't caught off guard when a conspiracy broke out against Christ and they crucified Him. And notice who's involved in this conspiracy. Basically, everybody. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and, we should note, the peoples of Israel. The peoples of Israel, the Jews, are seen now as the enemies of God. That's very important. These apostles are interpreting Psalm 2 not just from a Jewish context, context, but from a Christian 
context. And you are either for or against Jesus Christ. You either embrace Him or you reject Him. You either put your faith in Him or you deny Him. And if the Jews deny Christ, they are actually seen as part of the enemies coming against God's very own anointed, even though Jesus was a Jew Himself. But this is fascinating because they're being persecuted. Why are they bringing up basically the persecution of Jesus? They are reminding themselves that God is sovereign and that revelation itself predicted that Jesus Christ would be conspired against and would be crucified. And they're reminding themselves if this was a part of God's plan, then our persecution is a part of God's plan. And we should notice that God's sovereignty is not only seen in revelation as well as creation, but it's also seen in predestination. Look what they also say in verse 28. They're not done. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, what did they do? Whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This was part of God's plan before the creation of the world. God predestined it. And every once in a while, I hear a Christian say, wow, predestination, that's, that's controversial. It's, it's right here in the Bible. You, you can't get away from it. In Sunday school class, we were talking about adoption. So we read Ephesians 1, and we read that we were predestined to adoption. <laughs> So to understand adoption, we have to understand that we were predestined before the creation of the world to be adopted into His family. And then we're reading other passages about adoption. We read that we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So God predestined that as well. So even when you're talking about some other topic, predestination comes up. Why does it come up? Because God's in control. God is sovereign. Things don't just accidentally happen. We call things accidents. But technically speaking, there's no such thing as an accident. And the apostles address God in this way, reminding themselves, God is sovereign. He's the Creator. Everything that's here comes from His hand. He's the God of revelation. In other words, He's the God who speaks to us. He's the God who reveals the future. And He's the God of predestination. He's the God that's in control of everything that takes place. He was in control of everything that happened to Jesus. And He's in control of everything that's happening to us right now. And I want to tell you, whatever is going on in your life at this very moment, it's not just happening to you. It didn't just come out of the blue. It was predestined by God. Yes. You're responsible for your blunders that are bringing a difficulty on you. Or, yes, others who are coming against you are responsible for their actions. But divine sovereignty and human responsibility are not opposed to each other. They come together perfectly. And we see them coming together perfectly in the cross of Jesus Christ. Men put Jesus Christ on the cross and it was part of God's plan all along. And these apostles and believers are reminding themselves, our God is a sovereign God. And then, after addressing God, they move on to their request. 
And there's basically three requests in this prayer. First of all, they pray, in verse 29, that the Lord would look upon their threats. That's all they say. Look upon their threats. Not call down fire from heaven. Not annihilate them. Blow them to smithereens. Not even stop this persecution that's taking place. They're not even praying that. I think they're really just praying, Lord, consider their threats. And don't allow their threats to be a hindrance to the fulfillment of the Great Commission that we're seeking to carry out. Now, do any of you know how God answered this specific request? Consider their threats? I'll tell you. God answered this request by letting persecution continue and even increase. That's how God answered. The the persecution continued and it increased. First of all, consider this. What would have happened if the persecution would have stopped? First of all, Jesus' prophecies would have been wrong because Jesus told the disciples that they would be persecuted. That they would be flogged. That they would be turned over to religious leaders. That they would be betrayed by even family members. If God had stopped the persecution, Jesus' prophecies, many in painstaking detail, would not have to come, would not have come to pass. Second, if God would have stopped the persecution, what would have happened to the spread of the gospel? May have just stayed right there in Jerusalem. Persecution actually aided the spread of the gospel. It was like a springboard for the gospel. This is what we read in Acts 8. Beginning in verse 1, we read, And Saul approved of his execution. Talking about the execution of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And remember what we read at the beginning of Acts? That the Gospel would begin in Jerusalem and then it would go to all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And now that's taking place. And how is that taking place? Through persecution. Persecution doesn't necessarily hinder the Gospel. Timidity in the face of persecution will hinder the Gospel. But persecution alone does not stop the Gospel. And here, it actually catapulted the Gospel so that it would go forth. So they just pray, Lord, consider their threats. And I think basically they're, just, they're holding up their hands and they're saying, Lord, consider their threats and you do whatever you think is best. We don't need to fill in the details and tell you what to do. The next thing they pray for, also found in verse 29, is that God would grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And again, that's that put the, the apostles up here and think that they were oblivious to persecution, that they're unlike regular mortal men and women like you and me. No, they're praying that God would help them to continue to be bold because they know that even though they're bold on this occasion, that may not continue. They may shrink back. So they're asking that God would help them to be bold. And isn't that what we need? Don't we need to be more bold? I'll just raise my hands. I need to be more bold. 
I, I need to be more bold. And, and what we need is not an easier life, less opposition from our government or from our society. What we really need more than anything else is God to strengthen us so that we would be bold. The problem is not out there. The, the problem was with us. We need God's help to be bold. And they're praying for boldness. We need to pray for boldness. And then they also pray that God would stretch out His hands. Verse 30, While you stretch out your hands to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Praying for miracles. Now, here I think we want to avoid two extremes. Um, I don't believe that miracles are the normal occurrence in the church, as though we should expect to see them every other day. On the other hand, I don't think that we should believe that miracles will never take place. I think somewhere between miracles never taking place and between miracles being normal, uh, we have where we live the life, the Christian life, every day. Even in the book of Acts, in chapter 5, verse 12, we're told that signs and wonders were done mostly by the apostles. Not solely by the apostles, but they were done mostly by the apostles. And that's significant because the signs and wonders gave credit uh, to the revelation that they received. And Paul writes, if I, if I got the verse right, uh, in 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, that performed among him were the signs of an apostle. Uh, so the apostles were strengthened to perform signs which would add validity to God's Word. I think we also need to be very clear that the church grew not because of the great miracles, but because of the great expansion of God's Word. And here the book of Acts is very clear as well. Let me give you just a few verses. Acts 6-7 And the Word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Turning ahead to 12-24 but the Word of God increased and multiplied. 19.20 So the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I like that. Uh, So what's taking place in the book of Acts? The Gospel is going forth and the Word of God is increasing, bringing about converts, spreading, prevailing mightily. That's what we need. We need God's Word to go forth. That's how people are converted. Should we pray that God will stretch out His hands in our midst? Absolutely, we should pray. But at the same time, let's remember that it's God's Word that brings about salvation. The power of God unto salvation. That's what we need. God's Word to go forth. So they address the Sovereign Lord. They petition Him, mainly asking for boldness. And then we see the answer to their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Uh, Perhaps this was an earthquake. Um, I don't think it was a coincidental earthquake. (laughs) 
They prayed and all of a sudden there was an earthquake and they're like, ooh, that's, that's, <laughs> that's kind of eerie, isn't it? Um, it wasn't just nature taking its course under God's direction, of course. Um, God is directly answering their prayer. And it could be that this is a theophany. TJ, you know what a theophany is? Mia, you know what a theophany is? Even, don't feel bad. Even adults are going, I don't know what a theophany is. <laughs> She's not asleep. Her eyes are wide open. She's resting. A theophany is an appearing of God. Two Greek words for God in appearance. It's an appearance of God. And often in the Old Testament, or at least occasionally, I won't say often, um, the appearance of God came um, with nature moving. In Acts 19.18, this is what we read at the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. So, Mount Sinai is enveloped in fire. And we're told it's specifically because God came down. He descended on that mountain. Moses would ascend, meet with God, receive the Ten Commandments. And then we're told the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So, God made His presence known on Mount Sinai by literally shaking the mountain. And here at a prayer meeting, God literally shakes the earth in response to their prayer. It's God saying, I'm here, I'm answering, I'm working on your behalf. And then we're told, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word with all boldness. God answered their prayers. Now, didn't we see earlier that they were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? So why are we told here that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? Then they already had the Holy Spirit. They did already have the Holy Spirit. They were previously already filled with the Holy Spirit. But now they are filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. See, this is what the apostles know. Just because we're bold in this situation right here doesn't even mean that five minutes from now we will be equally as bold unless the Holy Spirit is working in us the same way. This is a great reminder that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be bold, it's going to be because God is empowering us by His Spirit to be bold. We can't do it by ourselves. And it's also a reminder that we should not rely on yesterday's boldness or last week's boldness. And some of us may say, you know, I, I was bold years ago and now it seems like I'm less bold. We need God's Holy Spirit to empower us and we need it on a regular basis, which is why the command is be filled with the Spirit. Literally, continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you of what D.L. Moody has said. And I've told you this a dozen times, but I'm going to tell you again. When he was asked why he speaks so frequently on being filled with the Holy Spirit, he replied, because I leak. We are all leaky Christians, which means we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day so that we can continue on. It's not a given. It's 
not a given that we'll continue to be bold. The, the apostles aren't saying, wow, we were so bold. You should have seen this before the Sanhedrin. We were amazing. It, it's not a given that they were amazing one day and that the next day they'll be equally amazing. It's not a given. They need God's help to continue on. They know that. So what are they doing? They're praying. They're praying to God. And we will only continue to be bold if God answers our prayers. Because this is a work of God. This is not a work of man. So they're bold. And isn't that what we need? Don't we need God's Holy Spirit to be bold? Regardless of the situation. And isn't it exciting when you, when you see bold Christians? When you see Christians that, that don't shrink back, that take advantage of the opportunities that come their way. R.C. Sproul talks about when he was in college and he was watching the Jack Parr show late on TV. Anybody heard of the Jack Parr show? Wow, a lot of you. I've never heard of it before. I guess those who are older than me. I, I, I'm guessing that's got to be an old show. I never heard of it. Okay, so many of you are familiar with it. So he was watching the Jack Parr show, and I guess Jack Parr is one of these, um, and I guess they're almost all the same, but uh, one of these hosts who's just silly all the time. He never wants to be serious. And, and they heard that Billy Graham was going to be a guest on the Jack Parr show. Um, so R.C. said they, they set up a TV, and all the Christians at the college gathered together to watch Billy Graham on, on the Jack Parr show to see how he would do. And he said Jack Parr and his inimitable style was just silly and didn't want to be serious and said, well, here we have Billy Graham. And he said, well, Billy, I, I guess you're going to try and save my soul tonight. You probably think my soul needs saving and I need to straighten out my life. Uh, you're, you're probably going to get me to repent. And he was just being silly. And, and Billy Graham responded, well, have you ever thought about repenting? And he said, Yes, I, I am concerned for your soul. Because apart from Jesus Christ, people perish. You should think about repenting. And R.C. Sproul, they were just watching, like, yes! Don't you love it when you see that? Christians, you know, not being cowards, you know, not, not backpedaling, but just calmly, you know, being bold for Jesus Christ. You know, R.C. said Billy Graham wasn't rude. He wasn't insensitive. But he was direct. He was straightforward. And he was bold. It really was. It was, it was beautiful. Isn't that how we want to be? We are here. Our purpose in life. want a purpose-driven life. I'm going to give you a purpose. It's to advance the Great Commission. We all have different gifts. We have different abilities different arenas in which we will fulfill the Great Commission. But that's why we're here, to fulfill the Great Commission. And we will not fulfill our purpose for being here if we're fearful, anxious, cowardly. We need to be bold. And we will not be bold without God's help. We need God's help. And you know what? I don't think we can even be bold on our own. I find it interesting that the believers gather together and they pray for one another. And even the Apostle Paul, pray for me that I would be bold. And I think if there's any prayer that God would answer, 
it would be the prayer to be bold. You may ask God to take away the cancer and He may say no. You may ask Him to take away the opposition at work from your non-Christian co-workers and He may say no. But I really do believe if you and I were to ask God to help us to be bold, that He really would answer that. Why would He not answer that? That's what He wants for His people. And if we are persistent and we pray together for God to help us to be bold, maybe He would even shake us. And He would answer our prayers and fill us with the Spirit so that we could be bold as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this simple yet profound message on boldness. Father, I find myself rebuked. I find myself challenged. And Father, I, I want to pray for our church. I want to pray for Fox Lake Community Church and all of us. Father, would You, would you help us to be bold? Would, would You help us to be the kind of people who can't but speak about Jesus Christ because of how He has changed our lives, because of what He has done for us. Father, help us to take advantage of the opportunities that will come our way to speak on behalf of Christ. Help us to be bold ambassadors for Christ. Amen.